This episode of Mate was made possible thanks to Open Universities Australia, where you can now study single module postgraduate units from leading Australian universities without having to enrol in a full university degree. To find out more, head to open.edu.au. This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist and entrepreneur. If you tuned in last week, you would have heard that um, we're revisiting some of the all-time Mate greats and uh, providing a bit of an update on what's happened since we recorded the original interview. And today, we're going back over a year to August 2016, when I interviewed Rory Aronson, who's the founder of FarmBot. Now, FarmBot is basically a robot which you install in your garden bed and it uses artificial intelligence to weed your crops, plant seeds, water them and make the creation of fresh produce and vegetables really easy. It's a fascinating product and an amazing interview. The, the feedback I've had about this episode uh, has been phenomenal. And so, I wanted to revisit this, uh, this discussion I had with Rory. And if you stick around um, after the show, I'll provide you a bit of an update on where FarmBot is today, a year on. So, let's get started. So, who are you and what do you do? So, my name is Rory Aronson and I am the founder of FarmBot, which is uh, an open source CNC farming machine designed for at-home precision agriculture. Uh, so I am the founder of the project and uh, the CEO of uh, my new company, FarmBot Inc. And we produce hardware kits and also sell software as a service. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a couple of <laughs> a couple of terms in there um, that I just want to explore first off. So uh, the first was CNC farming. The second was open source. So let's take those one at a time. Sure. What is a CNC farming machine? Yeah, so, you know, CNC stands for Computer Numerically Controlled. So, what that means is, you know, it's not a person out there with a shovel. It's a computer moving motors and using a microcontroller to uh, talk with sensors and other devices in order to, you know, do the action. So, FarmBot is completely computer controlled. Uh, In the application of farming, that looks something like uh, 3D printing. So in a 3D printer, you have a, you know, a nozzle that moves back and forth in the XYZ space, and it extrudes plastic. FarmBot is like that, but it's much larger. And instead of extruding plastic, it plants seeds in the ground, and then it waters them, and then it uses sensors to learn about the soil, the plants, and the environment in order to farm smarter over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the CNC part. Open source means that you know, everything that we create we publish online, and the intellectual property is available for free. Um, and essentially, anybody can use what we've created for their own purposes. Uh, you know, whether it's commercial purposes or uh, you know just hobby stuff, and they can do that basically without our permission. They can just go ahead and and modify FarmBot to suit their own needs. Uh, specifically, we're publishing all the things required to create and operate a farm bot. So all of the 3D CAD models, yep. all of the manufacturing files for 3D printing stuff or laser cutting some of the parts, uh, all of the step-by-step assembly instructions. So you really know how to put together FarmBot, uh, maintenance manual, uh, and also all of the software source code. So you can essentially run our software on your own computer uh, or your own you know, environment completely separate from us if you'd like to. Sure. Okay. So I want to explore this open source philosophy, I guess, a little bit in in just a sec. But before we do, just to kind of summarize then what FarmBot is, it's it's a big kind of machine that moves around in like a garden bed and plants seeds, waters them, checks the soil nutrients, kills weeds, all that kind of stuff, right? And Mm -hmm. it's essentially like self running once you've programmed it, which I guess is that CNC computer numerically controlled. Once you set it up um, and you give it the seeds and you plug it into power and you plug it into the internet and you give it everything that it needs, it can cultivate a garden bed for you without you having to do anything. That's the goal. Yeah. Right. Uh, we're not we're not there yet, but that is, that is the <laughs> ambition. Yeah, right. and, then, and then FarmBot just emails you when the tomatoes arrive so you can go out. <laughs> 
kind of pick whatever you want for dinner. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the goal, yeah. So apart from the actual device itself, what do you actually need to be able to, like what are all the external things you need to plug into it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, once you have the device, you need the basic inputs that uh, allow the machine to run and the basic inputs that allow you to successfully grow plants. Uh, some of these are required, some are not. You know, the things that are required for FarmBot to function are electricity, because there's a computer, there's motors, all that stuff. So, you, you know, our kits, you, you plug into the wall, you know, standard power, or you can run it completely off of solar, which actually is what's happening in my front yard. I have two farm bots running off of some small solar panels and a little battery. Mm-hmm. So you can take it completely off grid if you want. Uh, then you need um, an internet connection. Uh, it doesn't actually have to be an internet connection. It just needs to be an intranet connection if you're running the software locally. Uh, right. But FarmBot is by nature uh, like an internet of things device and you control and configure it via a web application in the, in the web browser from your phone or your laptop or your tablet. So, uh, you know, we recommend using our, our cloud-based hosted software solution, uh, which then you can access it from anywhere, uh, anywhere in the world from any device and, and control and configure your farm bot. Or you could run all the software locally and just, you know, when you're on your home Wi-Fi network, uh, control and configure farm bot there. So the only things that farm bot really needs are internet and power. Uh, but then, you know, for plants to grow, you need seeds. So a variety of seeds for whatever you want to grow. Mm-hmm. You need soil, you know, that's of a decent quality or some other growing medium. You need a decent environment to put the whole thing in. Um, so, you know, you can't grow plants in the dead of winter. Maybe you could do it if, if you put farm bot in a greenhouse. So you need the environment. Uh, and then you also need water. So farm bot comes with hardware so you can just hook it up straight to a standard garden hose and then mm-hmm. it, it has access to the water. And then also potentially you want to add on some components that would like close the loop for, uh, you know, the life cycle of nutrients. For example, you might want to add compost to the system uh, so that when you harvest your plants and then you go and cook with them and blah, 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 then you take the leftover scraps and you put them back into the compost and then eventually back into the soil bed mm-hmm. to kind of close the loop on the different systems. What's the benefit of FarmBot rather than actually, like, why does FarmBot need to exist? First off, FarmBot is not for everyone. If somebody likes gardening, they like getting their hands dirty, they have the time to dedicate to that and the expertise to actually be successful with it, absolutely, that's great. And they should continue doing that. FarmBot is very likely not for them. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, the fact is, is that, you know, they have a life, they have kids that they need to take care of, they have a job that they need to go to, maybe multiple jobs, maybe they like to travel. Uh, and so the reality is that a lot of people don't actually grow their own food. They just go to the grocery store and, and purchase it off the shelf, which is fine. You know, that, that works for many people. But I don't think it's the best possible agricultural system. There's a few problems that I've identified. You know, I'd say the main one is that the end eater in that system has no control over the food production process. Mm-hmm. You know, essentially all they do is they go to the grocery store and they see a bunch of different products on the shelf and they choose which one they want. Uh, but they don't actually know how things are being produced. What was like the energy input required? What types of like chemicals or other um, additives were used in the production of that food? How was it packaged and washed and prepared and stored? And how long did it take to get to the store? Where did it come from? All of these different factors are kind of unknowns uh, in the traditional agriculture system. And so FarmBot aims to basically get the benefit of fresh food that's grown just how you want to be grown uh, without the work. So it's, it's gardening for people who don't like to garden. Yeah, sure. So I have a few other questions sort of surrounding that that I wanted to ask, but I'm going to just hit pause on that for a minute because I want to go back to what I was talking about before um, this open source philosophy. So you mentioned that at the very start and, and it's very core to this FarmBot and the idea of um, FarmBot. What is open source? Well, you, you kind of explained that, but like, why did, you, um, why did you put such a huge emphasis on open source when you were developing this? You know, there's, there's two reasons. One, and this is... This is just like a benefit of open source. But one is uh, open source attracts a lot of great people. People are excited about the idea of helping be a part of something bigger, collaborating with people all over the world to make a technology 
you know, if I have an idea, I can share it with the world and I can see it be implemented. That's exciting for people. Mm-hmm. So that's a nice benefit of open source is that I've been able to develop a team and a community around this technology and product. Essentially, I get to tap into all of those people uh, because now, you know, it's not just a small company developing FarmBot. It's actually a community of 300 plus people developing FarmBot, tailoring it to different use cases uh, and really making it work for them. And all the while sharing that information so that that work kind of only needs to be done once. So then future future iterations or ideas are building upon a bigger foundation. Yep. So that's a nice benefit of open source. But really the reason why FarmBot is open source is I think it's just the morally right thing. Uh, I think when you look at human needs, you know, what, what do you need? You need water, you need food, you maybe need shelter. Beyond that, you know, there's other needs like social needs and, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, those are the those are the core needs of people. And so to me, if, if I have a if I have food, I should want to share that with you if you're hungry. Mm-hmm. I think that's the right thing to do. Also, if I have a technology that enables me to grow food uh, in a sustainable way, in a way that is awesome and maybe doesn't require a whole lot of work, why wouldn't I share that technology with you? Like that, that very greatly benefits you uh, and like satisfies your core needs of needing to put food in your mouth every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's just the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, some people kind of look at that and they're like, well, but how are you going to make money and continue working on this project? And like I said in the beginning, um, you know, my company sells hardware kits and software as a service. Even though FarmBot is open source and anybody can build it themselves, you know, look at those design files and blah, 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 and make their own company that competes directly with me. At the end of the day, uh, that's a lot of work to do. And uh, there's still plenty of viable business opportunity within that framework. So philosophically, you think it's the right thing to do to have an open platform that other people can contribute to and benefit from, and you don't really see much of a risk of anyone kind of stealing it because (laughs) it's it's hard. And I think we were talking about this because I was visiting um, uh, America last month and and I swung by and, and had a look at the front yard and the farm body in action. And you're saying that, you know, you can build this yourself, but it's, it is easier to just buy it from FarmBot. Yeah. And it's not a huge amount cheaper to actually build it yourself because you have to have all the tooling and parts and that sort of thing. So if you are, a, I guess, a, a maker and you're that way inclined and want to create your own project and do it, then sure. But I did want to explore a bit of a philosophical question um, just at this point, which was, I've noticed a lot of things are becoming decentralized in the world at the moment, and FarmBot is kind of doing that um, now. You were talking about knowing the origins of the food that you eat, um, but there is an argument for having centralized, um, you know, manufacturing of goods or growing of food, and then being able to generate economies of scale and then and then sell that. Um, at a cheaper price and hopefully at a higher quality because those people are experts at, you know, that sort of profession and, um, you know, there's, there's a number of benefits. So, what's the argument for having it as a decentralized model to um, food production? Sure. So, you're right. All of those benefits are very real of centralization. Um, though you have to compare the benefits of centralization with the drawbacks of it. Um, you know, so one of, like, I touched on the drawbacks, you know, you have to ship all the produce, you don't really know what's how it's being grown, you know, potentially you could know, um, like if there was more transparency around kind of industrial agriculture practices, there's not right now. Uh, but you know, it could be that way. So uh, in my opinion, the, it's all about kind of weighing the benefits and the drawbacks, you know, no one system is a silver bullet, no one system is going to be simultaneously the most energy efficient, the most cost efficient, the most time efficient, the most every possible thing you could want. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really about kind of looking at the different things that you do want and saying, well, you know, energy efficiency is really important uh, you know, because we don't want to be wasteful with that and dump a bunch of CO2 into the air. Oh, well, maybe, maybe we're using solar panels. Actually, that doesn't matter. Uh, you know, cost is always important, but you know, maybe, maybe you're rich or in a low socioeconomic status. So like, you know, you, you weigh the op- different options of what you want. So I think FarmBot competes with traditional agriculture on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. I think it can compete on quality. You know, everyone, 
anyone who grows a garden always says like you can't get produce that tastes this good yeah. from the grocery store right so quality is better um the cost uh we've estimated is less the return on investment of a farm bot is about three to five years right now mm-hmm. at which point you're actually saving money mm-hmm. um you know as the cost of the device comes down it would be even better so the cost is potentially better the energy efficiency is also better we've done an analysis and Farmbot grown veggies are about 30% less CO2 intensive than traditional veggies, at least in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets, it's basically no competition if you power your farmbot with a little $100 solar system. Yeah, so how do you make that estimate then? Uh, there, there's some analysis out there. You know, you can look up information from the USDA and figure out, you know, what they estimate the grams of CO2 emitted for like a kilogram or a, a kilocalorie of food right. or something like that. Yeah. And then you you do the same analysis for pharma. You say, okay, how much electricity is it going to use? Mm-hmm. What is the yield that we're going to get from this amount of area as mm-hmm. an estimation? And then you can kind of you know, play with the numbers there and see, oh, you know, it's, it's roughly, roughly the same, but slightly less. Yeah. Then if you say, okay, well, actually, let's just power our farm out with solar, then it's like no competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's one of those things. Having control over the system is really important. You know, if it's really important to you to not produce CO2, you can you can power your farm out with solar. Mm-hmm. If you care about that, but you buy your food at the grocery store, there's not really much you can do about transitioning that food to a sustainable energy system. So that that's what's really cool about farm is that control over all the aspects of the system. Yeah, I think it's a really cool idea. It's really bringing a, a 21st century technology to this fundamental thing that we need, which is food, um, which has been around since the dawn of time. So to me, in a way, it's like 3D printing food. I mean, it's not quite like that, but um, it's, kind of what it, <laughs> it's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. What are the long-term goals for FarmBot? Yeah. So, you know, right now the, the kits are 3000 bucks, um, which is definitely pricey. You know, it's, it's similar to a high-end 3D printer. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's not for everyone right now by any means. Uh, we're really looking at the early adopters, the people who, you know, cost isn't as much of an issue, but they're more looking for a project and they want to, you know, they want to be a supporter of this yep. early on. But over the long term, like all technologies, the cost comes down and the product gets better and better over time. Uh, so the long term goal for us is the under $1,000 farm buy, sure. which is, uh, you know, 90% already pre-assembled. It is probably not as hackable and like functional as the current devices more looking at reducing the cost of the device, making it super easy to use. We're talking like you really you plug it in, you hook in the hose, and then it basically just does the rest from there. Like you yeah. might not even use the software very much to control it. You just kind of like pop in seeds. FarmBot does everything else. So that's the ultimate goal is, you know, the under $1,000 FarmBot. Because at that time, or at that price point, we achieve something really interesting which is, in my opinion, we have made a, a food system that actually really does outcompete any other food system. If you typically go to the grocery store, let's say once a week, and you spend, I don't know, 10 or $20 on fresh produce, call it $20, that's $1,000 over the year. Mm-hmm. Now, what if we could finance a farm bot for you? where you actually pay for your farm bot in $20 installments every week mm-hmm. over the course of a year. Now we're, we're saying, now it's like becoming a no-brainer for somebody to want to do this, mm-hmm. where you know you have a tra- an incumbent system and you say, hey, we can, why, why don't you switch over to our system and it's going to be better for less money mm-hmm. and $0 up front. And so now it's like, oh my gosh, of course. And so I think that's going to be a really interesting time for us and for the technology. It's like, at what point can we achieve this price point specifically that makes it just a, a no-brainer to to jump in and, and go farm bot? Yeah. And so how far away is that? That's tough to say. You know, I'm, I'm an optimist, so I would say like two or three years. Um, you know, again, right now it's $3,000, um, you know, if we produce at scale, we're already bringing the cost down. You know, that's $3,000 retail. It's like, okay, well, if you, if you cut the margins down and, and you're selling a lot more products, you can, you know, maybe bring the cost down to 2500 If then you uh, optimize things by going to different manufacturing processes, you can bring the cost down another 500 or or $1,000. And then maybe you just 
you know, make some simplifications to the hardware and software. Maybe you, you optimize stuff. You partner with like some big you know, manufacturer or like a supply chain retail outlets. I don't know what. Um, but I think we can bring the cost down uh, in about three years. Beyond price, what are you hoping to achieve with with this invention? You know, I think um, my, my end goal is like FarmBot as a home appliance mm-hmm. where there are, you know, you go to Home Depot and there's a bunch of different brands of washing machines and they all kind of do something a little bit different and you, and you get one that suits your needs. Uh, that's kind of my end goal with FarmBot is it's an appliance. You can literally, you know, maybe go to, to Home Depot or, or buy it online and you get a FarmBot that suits your needs, uh, is capable of growing what you want to grow. And you kind of set it up and forget it. You know, you, once you install it, it just works. You mm-hmm. know, with the washing machine, you turn a few knobs, you press a few buttons, you load in some detergent, boom. Same with FarmBot. You, you press a few buttons on the app, uh, you load in some seeds, turn on the hose, and, and there it goes. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, the end goal. I guess more, I don't know, I guess uh, more in an abstract form, I'd just like to improve the food system. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sustains people. And I think an improvement is going to come from empowering people to really own that process. Because as soon as, you know, people really have the controls at their, at right in front of them, then they are empowered and kind of excited and have a a real good reason to take control and to actually improve the system. As soon as you kind of remove the controls from somebody, it's like, oh, well, that's just how it is. And that's just, quote, the system, and I just need to work with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think improving the system is going to come from you know, being open source, the sharing of knowledge, the sharing of technology, and uh, you know, giving people agency and control over the system, and also just an op- a different option. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, your options are the grocery store or gardening or like being a full-time farmer. Um, you know, what if we could allow everyone to produce their own food but not have it become their life. Yeah. Yeah. Farmbot's been fairly successful in, in its launch. Um, you probably have a, a better idea than me on in terms of how many dollars you're up to now in, in your pre-orders, but you, you launched uh, Farmbot with a kind of Kickstarter style model where you could pre-order it through the website. Um, and it, it absolutely exploded once, once you guys hit go. Um, so you are, how much, what, what was, what were you aiming for? You know, so, there's kind of two different goals. One was the the public facing goal, yeah, and that was a hundred thousand dollars. Yep. Um, to be totally honest, that number is just pulled out of my butt. Like, <laughs> there, I mean, it's just a pretty looking number. Sure. It's like it it feels ambitious, but not unrealistic, mm-hmm. which I think is important for a crowdfunding campaign. You yes. want to give people like, ah, oh, we're like striving for something that's like. You know, if, if there was no goal, it's like, oh, what are we doing here? Um, or if the goal was so low, if it was $10,000 and like I passed it in three hours, like it would have been kind of not as ambitious and exciting. Yeah. Uh, while at the same time, you, you don't want to cast any doubts in people's minds that you're going to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to do something realistic. Uh, so the $100,000 felt like a good number. Mm-hmm. Um, considering the price of the product, the scope of, of our community and you know, how well we thought we were going to do. So that was the public facing goal. And then we had an internal goal of selling a hundred, a hundred farm bots, which uh, would be about $300,000 worth. Yep. And that number is also somewhat made up. Um, One, it's also a nice number, Mm -hmm. but two, um, you know, I think uh, as far as the community goes, of course, the more, the better. Uh, but for our early adopters, for the people who are, are getting this very early technology and going to be prototyping and, and building with building it with us, I figured that 100 people would be really a nice number to work with, mm-hmm. where I and like my team could have a personal relationship with every one of those people, and we could really like know the story behind all of those people and the problems that they're encountering and the successes that they're having. Like we could really build a narrative around each of those yep. uses. So I thought 100 would be a good number. You know, we've ended up selling about 300 now. Um, so we're about $900,000 in, in sales, yep. which is great. I mean, you know, that's it's exceeding our expectations. And 
it's potentially going to be a little bit more difficult now to have that personal relationship with every one of them uh, and to really follow the stories of each different early adopter and their installation. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's going to happen eventually. And why not get there sooner than later? So, you know, we'll, we'll work as close as we can with everybody uh, to make sure that they're successful and they're happy with FarmBot and that it's working well for them and that they're able to contribute back to the community. Now we need to foster the relationships amongst the network. So moving from like a, a hub and spoke model where everyone kind of goes to me and like my team for questions and answers, we really want to foster a network where anyone in the community can feel empowered to answer questions and, and brainstorm ideas. Yep. It taps into that open source methodology that you were talking about earlier. So, I mean, I guess I'd make an argument anyway that um, out of the 300 orders that you've had already, not every single one of them is going to want to be super involved with, you know, modifying and changing things and whatever. Some people will, some of those people will just want to set and forget. So, maybe you still will have a manageable number of people that you can closely follow and have a, a an ongoing dialogue with because some some people just won't want that at all so absolutely yeah there's going to be a mixed bag of people um as with any you know group of people they're they're not all going to be homogenous in nature yeah uh, so yeah I, I agree there will be I, I think it will be manageable um and, and we're really happy with the way that the campaign has gone and you know the number of sales um that we generated and then the size of the community now yeah. So it sounds like you consider the launch a success. Um, however, how can you call something a success when you just pull a number out of your ass? <laughs> like, when you just make up the, the, the benchmark, how is that a success? Well, I mean, when you're doing your own project, I mean, that's that's the some of the beauty of working on your own stock is you, you get to define what success is. Yeah. You know, so success for us was developing a, a community. Uh, and I think we've done that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, or it's, 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 we've laid the foundation for it to happen. Another thing that we were wanting to do is have not only raise enough money through the pre-sales to obviously create the farm bot kits and send them out, but also raise enough money to be able to continue working on this project. Um, so to date, FarmBot has been about a $200,000 project over mm -hmm. three years. You know, that money went to purchasing materials for prototypes, paying for software services, paying for people's time, a little bit of travel even. Then we basically ran out of money at the end of end of May. It was like, okay, well, we need to launch here and get some revenue. And mm -hmm. then a portion of that we want to save to be able to continue working on this project, to buy more hardware for prototypes, to buy more tools and equipment, and to pay for more time. Mm -hmm. um, so... You know, for us, we wanted to, to raise enough money to at least sustain the core team. Uh, we actually raised, and that was around the $300,000 in sales mark. Though we ended up, you know, doing triple that. And so we've actually expanded our team now by two people. We hired mm -hmm. an additional software developer and a hardware engineer. Well, you also have to deliver more faster now because you've just got a, a, an overall bigger number of people wanting, wanting these things. So, yeah, I guess it makes sense to expand your team there. This episode of Mate was made possible thanks to Open Universities Australia. With Open Unis, you now have the flexibility of studying single-module postgraduate units from leading Australian universities without having to enrol in an entire degree. So this is perfect if you're a busy professional, um, you don't have to go to night school or anything like that. This is a brand new initiative that Open Unis has created, which allows you to upskill for your current role or maybe take the first steps towards a new one. And they have a really broad range of subjects that you can learn about. Things like technology essentials for managers or financial decision making. Or perhaps if you just want to learn something new, maybe you could study cyber terrorism and information warfare or democracy and dictatorship. There's over 100 units to choose from on topics from business to economics, technology, media to law. There's so many more. So instead of going to night school, why not work in a way that's flexible for you? Uh, you can work in your own time and learn about some really fascinating topics. To find out more about how to study a single unit from a leading Australian university with Open Universities Australia, head to open.edu.au. And thank you very much to Open Unis for your support of MATE.
what's your what's your background and what and what kind of gives you um the expertise to and and also the the, <laughs> the interest to to want to um create this this thing yeah so i my background is mechanical engineering but i don't know if i would really define myself by that i'd say i'm more of just an ideas person mm-hmm. and i like looking at big problems and coming up with novel solutions for that um my skill set is you know i'm not the best engineer i'm not the best designer or the best software developer. Actually, I don't hardly write any software at all. Um, you know, I'm not really an expert in any one thing, but what I am good at is, you know, taking a bunch of different disciplines and knowing just enough about them to put them together into a complete package uh, yeah. of an idea and kind of running with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically being able to do or, or have experience in the, each of the disciplines you know, just enough experience or intuition or ability to learn to be able to to make it happen. You know, again, it's not going to be like the most beautiful web application or like the most perfectly engineered hardware that is mm. every you know, all of the above. Uh, but it's going to be good enough, um, and then I can I can find experts to help me and fill in the blanks and make stuff that much better. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this. Um when I was visiting about how as an entrepreneur, you do kind of have to be a bit of a jack of all trades in the beginning whilst you're, you're building something because you don't have the time or the resources to hire people to do all the separate jobs. Um, and you don't have the time to have, you know, a, a fine attention to detail and craft over any particular discipline. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you need to kind of just hack a little bit of everything together and stick it together with duct tape and and eventually once you start to get generate some momentum and 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 i guess a, the real thing is probably revenue um you have the ability to hire more people which generates more time and uh and resources so yeah absolutely um i think being a generalist you know the entrepreneur i think needs to be a generalist otherwise i think it, it's easy just to to spend a whole lot of time crafting this one little element of a, of a system, mm-hmm. you know, perfectly, but, but you're missing all the other stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked about, there are, there are so many different aspects to, especially with something like FarmBot, to get it off the ground and mm. make it successful. You need both hardware engineering and software development um, across different levels. It's like web and uh, embedded stuff. You need uh, hardware that has to be outside and like durable uh, which is a challenge. It needs to be designed uh, in an open source manner. So, like all of the all of the plastic parts are specifically designed for three D printing and like mm-hmm. manufacturability at home or with common accessible tools. Uh, obviously, it's it's a farming robot, so there needs to be an element of knowing how to grow plants and how to sow seeds and how to water them and how to set up a software system that allows the user to quote program their farm. Um, so there was a lot of different aspects uh, and disciplines that kind of went into it, not to mention now we're actually running a business and we have to do Mm. supply chain management and Mm -hmm. inventory and fulfillment and marketing and, you know, X, Y, and Z, uh, things that go into running a business. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All, all new challenges. And and I'm sure that will continue to, uh, to emerge. So nice segue. You mentioned marketing there. I wanted to, you know, this this podcast is about technology, and we've spent a, a, a bunch of time talking about that. But I also want to talk about marketing, which is another key theme that we explore. Yeah, how did you launch? So, so you had the Kickstarter style model. That it's probably better to call it crowdfunding model um, to to launch Farmbot. But what other marketing lessons have you learned through the launch of Farmbot? Yeah, you know, I, I would say the main thing is video is super huge right now. Video is, is so engaging, it's so shareable, mm-hmm. and people just eat it up. And so, you know, I put a lot of time and energy uh, and resources into developing our launch video. Yep. Uh, you know, you look at Kickstarter and like, what's the main piece of content on there that is, quote, selling you the project? Mm-hmm. It's the video. Yep. Look at a Facebook feed today. Everything is videos, even if it's like a product uh, demonstration or, or a pitch or if it's news, or if it's even just people like sharing stuff, you know, mm. Snapchat is huge because it's all video based. So um, video is, is really 
kind of a trend right now. And to me, if you don't have video, you're going to be lost under in the stream of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we put a lot of time into making our launch video. And, you know, we did it over about three months of time. Mm -hmm. I got like seven GoPro cameras and put them all outside. I had to wire them up. So they're all charged all the time. Mm -hmm. And they're taking a photo every 60 seconds. And so like I ended up with, I don't know, like four terabytes of data <laughs> just just in photos of this garden growing <laughs> over three months. Yeah. And, you know, it was so worth it. You know, it was a pain yeah. in the butt to like, I, you know, the memory cards filled up like every seven days. So I had to like every seven days download all of them, like 60 gigabytes off of seven cameras and like <laughs> organize all these files. And I had to learn how to do video editing and like had to find some stock music that worked yeah. and like all this different stuff. Um, to culminate into, I mean, essentially, a, like, we made two videos. We made a, a lengthier one that was about six minutes long uh, and a shorter, like, bite-sized one that was about a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, like, all of this time, like, three months of filming and hundreds of hours of editing to get you to, like, seven minutes worth of content. But, you know, that is, like, the piece of content that ropes yeah. people into the website and also sells them the project. Mm -hmm. Video on social is the thing at the moment. Now that the cost of creating video has come down, the, the number of people creating video, the expertise people have to do that is, is um, risen a lot. There's, you know, there's, there's apps that help you create uh, and match together videos, even just like for your own holiday movies or family videos or whatever. So... But it is the most engaging form of media as well, which is what I like about it because it's visual, it's auditory, and it, and it sucks you in, like you said. So I think that's, that's really important. Were, were there any other things that you, any kind of like little quirks that you found with the, with the launch? You know, how did you publicize um, FarmBot? Yeah, so, you know, I think the most effective, quote, advertising is when you create something that is so compelling that people just want to share it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's the key of something being viral, right? Is a, a person watches it and they find it so cool and like so worth their time to have watched and they want to share it so bad that, you know, they hit that share button mm -hmm. or they tweet it or, or they tell their friends about it in person. Yep. Uh, you know, they bring it up on their phone at the next potluck dinner. And so for me, I put as much time into like making my piece of content as, quote, viral as it could be like i wanted it to be like that style of content rather than focusing more resources on like okay we're going to make an okay piece of content and then spend a lot of like dollars and research doing like traditional actual advertisements with it sure yeah we did do some advertising campaigns and some retargeting stuff but really what really ended up doing it for us was our launch video was so shareable you know, it ended up reaching 50 or 60 or 70 million people just on Facebook mm -hmm. um, over a month. And it's like, wow, like, there's no way I could spend, you'd have to spend so much money to like actually put an advertisement for that many people. But we had people sharing it because they thought mm. it was so cool. I think it's so ironic that, you know, I work with a lot of big brands in terms of their advertising campaigns and they all want to create viral videos. Um, and I think it's yeah. so ironic that like a, a mechanical engineer who made a uh, CNC farming machine was able to create a video that just absolutely trumps all of that. So <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of things going for me, too. You know, one um one, you know, I'm, I'm a techie person, so I'm tapped into social media all the time. I'm tapped into trends and blah, blah, blah. And so, uh, you know, I kind of know what works and what doesn't. You know, you can see that. Uh, two, FarmBot is a really compelling idea, as it is. And it's, it's very new and different, and people haven't seen that before. So that's automatically, like, cooler and, and more shareable. Mm -hmm. I think I kind of combine those two things, um, you know, knowing what works well online and what doesn't and having a, a rock solid thing to share um, to begin with. Really combining those two things made it successful. Yep. The little short clip that we made, uh, that's a, a minute and a half long. It, it's literally a formula. Um, like if you look on Facebook, every video now uh, has the video content and then it has textual overlays. That's because of mobile, because people don't usually listen to 
videos on mobile. Yeah. They're usually just like scrolling and they want to like watch it and they want to read the, the caption things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. So I literally followed that formula. What font did I choose? Typical meme font impact, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like, so it's kind of stupid, honestly, but like, <laughs> you know that works like you look at facebook and like what are the videos that i'm getting sucked into what are the things that are super popular on here and it's like that font literally also like the whole thing where there's you have a sentence and then one word is like a slightly different color it's Mm -hmm. or it's like a highlight color yeah yeah, yeah. whole sentence is white and then there's like the buzzword like open source is is blue yeah and you know i followed that formula because it works Mm mm-hmm that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, when we caught up, you were telling me a, a really interesting story about how FarmBot was featured in the Smithsonian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've already told you in this podcast things that maybe other people would say I shouldn't say. But um, yeah, basic, basically anything that, that is said will be used. <laughs> maybe, not, maybe not necessarily against you, but it will be used, you know, for better or worse. Yeah. Um, you know, so what ended up happening is is a local reporter came by my house to, to interview me for FarmBot, take a few photos, whatever. Uh, and she asked a similar question about price, like what, you know, what's the price right now and what's the, the ending price? Now, when she asked this question, this was like literally her last words to me. She had already turned off her recorder. She had put her camera away. She was literally walking away towards her car and she offhandedly kind of asked like, hey, by the way, what is the cost? I said, oh, 2900 for the pre-order kit. And, uh, you know, one day, $1,000 maybe. Um, you know, that's a little far off. So this like offhanded comment to a reporter who didn't even have a recorder on or anything or notepad out, then, you know, she ended up writing about that in this small local newspaper online edition. Mm-hmm. Then this other organization, Modern Farmer, wrote an article about FarmBot, happened to do like come across this local publications article, pulled that quote out and put it in theirs. And so then it was like, okay, now it's from like a local organization to like an industry publication. Yep. And then the Smithsonian, like a national huge publication, cross posts the Modern Farmer article. Mm-hmm. So now like this, this offhanded comment from my porch was on the national level news. Uh-huh. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> you know, at, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, whatever. Um, you know, only so many people actually read that and I don't know how much, you know, that actually mattered to somebody's purchasing decision or what. Mm. But yeah, it's just interesting how in today's age, information spreads so fast. Mm. You know, you can say a comment to anybody and it might end up on a national publication. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also interesting how, um, you don't know what the hook is going to be. Um, I find that in a lot of what I do, you know, I, I, you you just test things, you, you figure out, you know, or you might have some offhand comment like what, like in your situation. Um, and you go, Oh crap, it's the thousand dollar comment that hooks that, that generates the, the, the news coverage or whatever. And so then from then on, like when we were talking about it um, 10 minutes ago, you said that, you know, openly and there was no, no um, hesitation with <laughs> it because you're comfortable with that comment now. And that is, that, that, that's, that's a bit of a hook. So, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you, you don't know always what's going to work. And you just, so you just got to try things and figure it out and, that methodology rings true, not just for marketing and communications, which is what I historically have been involved with, but also with engineering and, you know, probably with, with building FarmBot as well. You just got to try solutions to issues that you have and, and you don't know what will end up working. So Definitely. And, you know, I, I was fortunate too to have done a few experiments leading up to the campaign. So about a month before the campaign, I actually put out a very similar teaser trailer mm-hmm. and it did really well too like it got i don't remember what it was like eight hundred thousand views which i thought was like oh my gosh yeah. eight hundred thousand people watch this video and like it's not even the real thing yet and uh-huh. blah, blah blah i watched it over and over and over again i looked at the comments and i showed it to people and i learned a few things i was like all right the next one needs to be slightly different in these ways yeah you know i iterated it slightly and it, it I also added, you know, more footage and more wow factor to it and it really just took off. So yep. definitely, you know, iterating and, and kind of figuring out what 
what is going to resonate with people is is important. Yeah. So so what what did you learn from that first video to the second one? You know, it was some small details. Um, a lot of it had to do with timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook has this really great um, tool where, where it shows you the drop-off rate of your video. So it's like starts yeah. out at 100% at zero seconds. And then it's like, you know, by five seconds and you have 80% of your original audience and like so-and-so. And so you can kind of see like, oh, at that specific clip, like people just plummeted, like dropped off, like they thought it was right. boring. Yeah. And so I, I took clips out like that. And I also, in general, just sped the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. I made it like, bam, bam, like blasting information at people, mm-hmm. you know, because I would I would come across my own video on Facebook and I would like start watching it. And then, I mean, people's attention spans are just so short now. Yeah. Like yeah. literally, if, if the clip was like more than three and a half seconds or something, I like felt bored by it. And right. so I was like, that was like approaching ready to like flip my thumb to go to the next thing. So I was like, all right, like each clip needs to be super short. Mm-hmm. And like the text overlays in the first one were a little bit longer. You know, I simplified it to like the bare minimum of words, like in the <laughs> biggest font possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, practically just like buzzwords. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I optimized that. One other thing too was in the very first clip of the first video, Farmbot kind of like moves into the scene and then it's like a half second in, the text comes up and it says meet Farmbot. Yeah. And it was kind of cool. It's like, bam, like, oh, it was like this impactful thing. Mm-hmm. But that actually ended up kind of backfiring because when you scroll through Facebook, the video comes into view, takes a few milliseconds to load, and then it starts playing. And then, you know, that's when Farmbot's moving in and you don't actually see the text yet. And there's a possibility that you would be scrolling through Facebook so fast that you actually just miss that impact, like big font, neat Farmbot. Right. And you scroll right past it. You're like, what is this thing? Like, it just looks like a a hedge with some like metal in it, like scroll, boring. Yeah. And so the next one, I made sure that meet farm bot was from frame one. Mm-hmm. And so like when you scroll into Facebook, like it says meet farm bot right away. And like people are automatically hooked into that, like this huge yeah. text, but like, what is farm bot? Uh-huh. That sounds cool. And they're automatically kind of hooked into it. Uh-huh. So the, the final section here um, was kind of about the, What's happened since launching FarmBot and how um, it's, I guess, had some personal effects and, you know, I've, I've named it Sudden Celebrity. So, <laughs> what's it been like going from somebody who um, wasn't well known and you kind of, you know, hunkered down in, in focus mode for three years, you said, working on this project and then all of a sudden you become um, somewhat of a celebrity within this, within this, you know, one sort of industry. Yeah, you know, it, it's cool um, because I'd say more so than me being a celebrity, it's it's more FarmBot is where, you know, I can I can literally be on my porch and people on the sidewalk are walking past and they look at FarmBot and they're like, hey, I saw this online. How did you get your FarmBot so fast? I thought it was going to ship in February. <laughs> I said, oh, well, th- these are like, I am like the creator of this thing. I so made it's it. Like, <laughs> yeah, these are... <laughs> These are the originals. And like, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I've had my coworkers, you know, uh, co-founders, they've gone to some networking events and people know about Farmbot. Like it doesn't even require an introduction anymore, which is mm-hmm. really fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you say, oh, I work for Apple, it's like, oh, okay, that doesn't require an introduction of like what Apple does. Yep. Um, and Farmbot is now kind of like that, which is really awesome. You know, before it was like I, I always had to go through this explanation of what is FarmBot. Now we kind of cut to the chase and they ask more engaging questions. So that's really awesome. You know, it's it's also cool to see our work just be spread so far and wide, especially by publications and people that we look up to. You know, so like Arduino posted about FarmBot, you mm-hmm. know, and we use Arduinos. Raspberry Pi just posted about FarmBot a few days ago. Like that's really cool for us. And so, you know, seeing seeing all of the excitement and just like the the overwhelming support for the project is really awesome. And that's, in my opinion, like the benefit of you know, being well known is, is people kind of look at you and your project and they're like, ah, oh, cool. Like, I know what you're all about and I believe in you. Mm-hmm. So uh, what sort of opportunities has this, I guess, media coverage and, and new exposure opened up for you? You know, quite a bit, um, you know, apart from just driving 
obviously tons of people to the website. Yeah, it's kind of this like positive feedback loop where you, you get one article written and then all of a sudden there's 20 emails saying like, hey, I saw your article in blank. Can you answer these questions for my blog or my publication? Or, you know, I have some questions about FarmBot. I want to purchase one. So it's really this like really nice positive feedback loop that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as actual, you know, more opportunities for me specifically, People just know about FarmBot now, and so they they view the team behind FarmBot, or maybe me, as some type of expert, which I think to some degree is quite false. Um, <laughs> but I'd say I, I, you know, I guess I'm I'm more of an expert than than the average person. And so, is this one of those comments that you mention offhandedly that you maybe shouldn't, and then becomes <laughs> maybe, yeah, I am not an expert. Um, you know, but you know, maybe I don't know what what is an expert. It's a whole other question. But yeah, you so, know, people come to me and like, for example, uh, somebody from XPRIZE um, who puts on these like million dollar competitions for innovation, they emailed me and said like, hey, we're developing an agriculture based XPRIZE. We want to talk to you and run some ideas past you and like see if, if you what you think as far as like where should innovation dollars be focused and concentrated? Mm-hmm. Like what should we be looking for in projects? How should we create this prize? I was like, wow, that's really cool that you came to me to ask for that advice. Yeah. Um, you know, because now, again, I, I wouldn't call myself the expert, but I do have my my own philosophy. And now I get to kind of push that onto or like, you know, guide people with my philosophy, sure. which is really awesome. So what's been challenging then about having so much media coverage and, and this new exposure? I, th- I think it's just like the sheer number of requests. Yeah. Podcasts like this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, kind of, uh, you know, I just get so many messages, um, whether it's like through Facebook or through email or through the forum or you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's just a huge number of requests. And you know, at the end of the day, they all kind of start to look the same where everyone's all, all asking roughly the same questions. Um, roughly like there's a few different end goals that are going to come out of it like uh they're writing an article they want to do like they want to share my video they want questions about the technology so they can buy one etc and so that just becomes a little exhausting after a while um to to continue to answer that but at the same time it's, it's necessary right because obviously if people are interested in buying a farm bot you know i need to be a salesperson and sell them on it if they have questions if somebody has media inquiries or like needs access to photos or or video content like of course i'm gonna share that with them because that's very beneficial for the project and the other thing too is you just don't know what's going to come of a project or or what's going to come of a a request Mm. you know some messages i've been so surprised like they start out with just seriously the worst first impression Mm -hmm. broken english like sent from my iphone you know super short and brief like what's my incentive to respond to this person? But then I respond and I'm, you know, excited and, you know, thoughtful in my response. And then next thing you know, it's like, it's turning into some great opportunity. Whereas other people also have like made a great first impression and then it it totally went nowhere. And it was a total waste of my time to like talk to them, but you just don't know. And so you end up having to go into this default mode of just respond to every single person um, and, and put on your best. But that is quite exhausting. What's exciting you right now? I think Burning Man. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, you know, for the last two months has been a really, like, go time for me with, with FarmBot. And like I said, it's been pretty exhausting. I'm going to go on a vacation in a week to mm-hmm. Burning Man and kind of check out and, you know, get out of my current world. <laughs> sure. Yeah, reboot so, a little yeah, bit. I'm pretty excited about that, yeah. So just for those who don't know what Burning Man is, could you just give like a little bit of an explanation? It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a strange um, holiday. Like it's, it's not your kind of typical go relax on a beach kind of thing, right? Yeah, so it, it's a festival. It's in the middle of the desert. Basically, it's uh, 50 or 60,000 people go and essentially build a city out there, kind of live out there for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and cruise around the desert and look at the art installations that people bring out there. Mm-hmm. And there are concerts and, you know, strange experiences that people set up and, and create. It's somewhat of a, 
of a festival, somewhat of a vacation, somewhat of a, an art museum of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's also, I wouldn't call it a museum, I guess, because you're not going there just to watch. You're going to participate and, and be Burning mm-hmm. Man as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, this is going to be my first year. So I've heard a lot about it, and I'm excited to, to go and experience it. Cool. And then finally, um, who should I interview next on Mate? I need to think about that. <laughs> so Mate, you know, Mark, what, what does it stand for? Again? Marketing, advertising, technology, entrepreneurship. Hmm. Come you on, know, Rory. I, I, I sent you the questions before. You had. I know, had you, I know you did. <laughs> and it's so busy. I don't have time to think about this. <laughs> sure. Let's uh, see. You know, I want to say somebody like that I just look up to, right? Um you know, like I would say that the founder of uh, the CEO of Kickstarter, Yancey Strickler, like how cool is that? Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who has clearly, uh, you know, built a huge community and, you know, around an internet company, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to stick with that. All Yancey right. Strickler, the CEO of Kickstarter. All right. Because I would love to see that. He's one of my role models. Uh-huh. I'll uh, I'll see if I can make it happen. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well. At the same time, he's kind of elusive. Like he doesn't have a whole lot of stuff online. Of, you know, divulging his story. So I'd like I'd like to see that. Yep, yep. That probably means it's difficult to track down as well. But <laughs> I have my ways. <laughs> Sounds good, Rory. Thank you so much for coming uh, on the show today. It was um, it was interesting, enlightening, um, educational, and uh, yeah, it was, it was it's fun. Thanks for listening. As promised, um, here's a bit of an update on what's happened in the last year since uh, I recorded that interview with Rory. I spoke to him the other day and he said that they're now just wrapping up the manufacturing of their second production run. So, they're actually shipping these. And by the end of September this year, they will have shipped over 500 FarmBot units to customers all around the world. And these new kits that they're working on right now, um, the FarmBot Genesis version 1.3, Uh, have their very own custom electronics board, which makes the assembly much faster and much easier. They also have uh, a number of other injection molded components, a waterproof power supply, LED lights, basically a whole lot of uh, innovations and improvements that make FarmBot much higher quality and uh, much better than the original version. Since this is a uh, internet connected device, you know, the internet of things, software updates upgrade the uh, the hardware, uh, which they've been doing and they will continue to do. They released this update with tools to, to help users better plan their garden design. So we're now essentially living in the real world of Farmville, where you can open your computer, click a few buttons uh, and have a machine water, crop, weed, and almost harvest the entire um, production chain of creating fresh produce. I also asked Rory about what some of the future plans for FarmBot are, and he said that um, version 1.4 is going bigger and better. In essence, they're making a much larger FarmBot, which can cover at least four times the area of the current version. All that, and at the same time, they're working on some software features to make FarmBot smarter and even more automated. But the key question I had was, is FarmBot under that $1,000 price point yet? The answer, not quite yet. Uh, They're sitting at about $2,500 for a FarmBot unit right now, which is great bang for your buck, but we're not quite at that magic number yet. I guess we'll have to tune in same time next year and see where Rory and FarmBot are at. Thanks for listening to Mate. I hope you enjoyed this update episode uh, and the chance to revisit some of the all-time Mate greats. I've really enjoyed listening back to these episodes. Thanks to Rory for coming on the show and also for providing a bit of an update on where FarmBot is at today. I want to thank Josh Armour from ArmorPod Productions for your editing help. A big shout out to Courtney Carmen for designing the beautiful Mate Podcast logo. The Mate theme music is by Nine Inch Nails and our ad music 
is by Ben Sound. All music used under a Creative Commons license. For more information about the show or, or me, um, head to the website matepodcast.com. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please leave a review on iTunes. And I would love to hear your feedback. If you like something or don't like something, if there's somebody you want to recommend that I interview, um, shoot me an email. It's adam at matepodcast.com. This episode of Mate was made with love and some pretty late nights and some very early mornings. Uh, It's a tough slog being an entrepreneur. In my hometown, Melbourne, Australia. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and this was a Jaffrey product. Bye for now. Uh, can you hear my dog barking in the background? I heard it a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she's going to stop. I have two questions left. <laughs>